Welcome, welcome everyone to 416 of Corporate Courtney. And this week I want to talk about your 401k and employee stock purchase plans and investing as soon as possible. And to be fair, this isn't really black issues or women's issues, but as people in corporate America, these are a lot of the questions that we really don't get a really great answer to on our own, unless you have someone in your corner to talk about these things. So since I've always had a cheat sheet and my father kind of walked me through a lot of this stuff, I thought, who better to bring on as a guest to talk about 401ks and and employee stock purchase plans and what that looks like from a diversification standpoint and get a boomer's perspective on all of this. And my dad's not just some regular boomer who also had traditional but is working on 401k plans and things of that nature. Money is his hobby. So these things that he's learned, he's learned in his own time at his own capacity. And I thought it'd be fun to share some of this stuff with you guys, but it is not in lieu of a financial planner. So please do not take this information as Bible. Please reach out to other people as you feel it is needed. So Robert Johnson, do you believe one should invest in their 401k as soon as they start a job in corporate America? I believe people should start their 401k as long as they're not doing short-term contract work. So like long-term employment. Correct. One of the reasons short-term, because you don't have any place to roll your money into, and you only have a short, a short period of time to uh, accumulate that money. And you're not going to make any, uh, any money in a short period of time. What you need to be doing, if you know you're doing contract-type work, is saving that money in... In, in a a bank savings account or a bank money market account because you know you're going to have to access that money. That money needs to be readily available to access to cover your bills when you're not working. And so it may take you a little longer to get started than a person who has a long-term position and feel a little more comfortable and stable. So you're saying that when you first get out of college, like you, your first job, you're first doing it, no matter what your company is matching, you should do 10%? Yes. And, and one reason I say that because, one, you never had money to spend anyway. So starting off with less money to spend won't be a big shocker. It's not your money anyways. Right. Now, you have to have enough money to live off of. And, and if you start a new job, and it's a long-term job, but it's not a very high-paying job, if you can't afford to do that, and hopefully you, you make enough money that you can afford to do that, you want to try to start at 10%. And, and that's been, then over, the, like I say, if you, if you take whatever you raise you get the following year and take 1% of that raise and put it in your 401k, that helps sure up your retirement and, and get you on track to be able to retire at age 62. So if you're adding 1% to that 10% every year, when is a good time to kind of just start to slow it down? Or is there a good time to slow it down? 
question. Uh, great time to start slowing it down is once you hit 20%, which would be 10 years, or if in between that, if you have a life change, uh, like you get married or you start having children, and those life changes will require you to have more readily available cash, so then you could actually stop or slow down. Maybe every other year uh, you take 1%. Uh, those life-changing events uh, will also dictate, you know, your future plans. Uh, just because you start off with a financial plan and where you think you're going to go doesn't mean that plan is set for life. I mean, because of life, um, your priorities change. Yeah. When you think about, like, when you're investing in your 401k and you're talking about, like, the difference between doing just like the traditional 401k practice, which is like pre-tax stuff. And then the option that a lot of people have, which is the Roth IRA portion. Um, for me, I split it. So I put um, a certain percentage in my traditional, which is pre-tax and then a certain per- percentage in my Roth IRA, which is post-tax, just depending on government changes and just hedging my risk. Do you think that that's a good idea or you think that that's something I should reevaluate? I think that's an excellent idea. Uh, I may be a a little different than some financial planners. Uh, One of the reasons I like um, pre-tax as opposed to post-tax, okay? Post-tax means right now I'm taking money and paying taxes on that, but I'm doing that on the hopes that I'm paying less taxes when I take it out. But... But pre-tax means I'm, if I'm making good money, I'm in a higher tax bracket. And if I, if I could take that money out and save it, I'm not being taxed on that money right now, which is a savings to me because I'm not being taxed. Uh, and one of the big drivers for that is, you know, the federal government changes its tax laws when we change presidents. Right. And, uh, so right now... You know, taxes are, are, are not that high. Because uh, we have a conservative-leaning government. Right. But if if you have a liberal-leaning government and they want people to pay more taxes, they want the wealthy to, to pay more, well, guess what? If, if you're, you fall in that, that high tax um, category, you're going to pay more taxes. So you need something to try to take the, that income down so you don't have to pay as much tax on it. Uh, that's why I think it's, it's a fifty-fifty is a great great way to hedge your bets. That um, way you're, you're not flip flopping every four four years uh, whenever the government changes. Uh, and then some of the benefits of that we, that we enjoy right now, where it says you know if you do a, a um, if you invest in post tax like your Roth IRAs. Uh, you you can take that money out tax free. Well, that law can change, and so if you've started that, and then the law changes, and you can't pull it out tax free, you know what? You've you've already lost the tax free or uh, tax deferred advantage that you could have had earlier. Not that I think that it would actually convert. 
but I, I think that that law could be modified and changed to where it's not as lucrative as it would be to say, hey, I won't pay any taxes by the time I turn 60. Well, if that law changes and it says, well, you know, that was the original premise, but you don't have to pay as much as you would have paid. You know, your your investment income will be taxed at a lower rate. Because if you, if, I hate to say this, but a lot of people don't realize, if I took money outside, took money now, after tax, and went out and invested in my own mutual fund, and or uh, my own stock in a company, then I pay taxes on that money. So I don't pay taxes on that money anymore, but I pay taxes on anything that that money earns. So you pay taxes on the interest? So you pay taxes on the interest. And and, and I, I didn't use the term interest because sometimes they call it dividends and sometimes it's growth because if I buy a stock at $20 and I, and I sell it at $30, I made $10 because the stock changed values, not that I had interest in it, that accumulated. As, and, I, and we do that so you don't get that confused with bank interest, which is guaranteed at a certain rate. That's probably why the wealthy are always investing. Well, they also are smart enough and savvy enough to put money in stocks and in companies, and know that those income are considered investment tax, not income tax. And investment tax are always cheaper. Has that always been the case, or is that just something that's been more recently put in place? Like, is it? Uh, it's 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 not more recent. Uh, it's, it's 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 been in place for for quite a while. Um, at one time, it was. I think all the way back to Reagan's uh, when President Reagan took office is when they started saying um, investment income shouldn't be taxed at the same rate as income. So, people. So, because what what was happening was CEOs were getting um, stock options instead of pay. You know, they have a, a base pay, uh. a million dollars, but the rest of that six million or ten million or twenty million dollars is based off stock options. So they're given stock. So when those stocks, when when they pull money out of those stock options. Uh, an investment, they're being taxed at 15% instead of being taxed at 30%. Or whatever it is in that tax bracket. Right. Uh, and I, I, I forget, one of the elections, uh, one of the politicians, uh, the question was that, why does he pay less taxes than his secretary? And, and he never would answer that question, but the, the answer was because he got all his money in investment income. So and, ideally, it is better for us to start putting our money into these investments because not only are we saving for the future, but we're also probably taking in more money because of the pre-tax portion, not your IRA Roth portion. But for the pre-tax portion, you're getting taxed cheaper on it. Right. Well, on your pre-tax, you're not getting taxed at all. Right. And, but but even on, on on your Roth, that income is your income is being taxed, but your interest off of that won't be in the future. And since I have you to be able to like bounce these ideas off of and talk money with, not a lot of people have 
a dad or an older person who like does this money stuff for fun. Have you ever used like investment bankers or people with like those resources to kind of help you with that stuff? I, I really haven't. Uh, I use a, um, uh, our credit union had a financial planner uh, when I first got started and who, who kind of talked to me about um, budgets, um, planning for the future, investing in 401ks. See, 401ks were, were, were something that was very new. It, we didn't actually have 401ks when I first started working. That came about later. Uh, but more and more companies were deciding that traditional retirement plans were too expensive for them. So they came up with this, well, let's let the employees save for their own retirement. Right. And they kind of backed out of the, uh, out of the deal, uh, which is really different than it had been in the past. So um, I, I learned a lot from my dad, who, who, who invested uh, back in his day. And, and like I say, you know, I met with a financial planner. I, I met with a certified um, um, public accounting to talk about tax stuff. And one of the things I, I, I realized back then is I knew about as much as they did. Right. So then why give them a percentage of your money if you can go learn that stuff on your own? Right. And then there, there were uh, all the publications, money magazines, financial magazines. And that's how I was introduced to mutual funds and what mutual funds were and how they function, how they work. And what management fees, how little they were as, compa- as compared to using a, a, uh, a stockbroker. Uh, now it's before Ameritrade and all these discount brokers out there. Now, before then, you, you couldn't do that. Uh, yeah, we're spoiled know. now. We have like Robin Hood and, and all these things uh, where you don't pay for that. You just can go put your money where you want. Yeah, I mean, those are great, great systems. But those are systems that are being creative because that was a void. When companies stop having retirement plans, you know, in the old days, you, you went to work for a company, you worked there all your life, uh, the company gave you a retirement plan and a gold watch when you got ready to, to leave. And and that was kind of the American dream was, you know, you, 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 your future is taken care of. And reti- old traditional retirement plans, they paid you till you die. Now, a lot of companies are doing this thing now where they also are letting some of their employees get into, like, an employee stock purchase plan where they give you like a discounted rate on stocks and then you could put your money into that. Do you think that that's a good idea for employees to take advantage of, or do you feel like there's a problem with the diversification? If you're doing your 401k with the same company and now you've got stocks with them, even if they are discounted. Great question. Uh, and, and the answer is yes. Um, one of the things uh, about company stock, you know, Back in in the uh, late seventies, uh, one of the things that companies started doing was pushing company stock. You know, and and the bad thing about company stock is if the company goes under, your paycheck is tied to that company, and the stock that you have is no longer valuable if that company goes under. So you lose twice. Right. Which is a major uh, risk. And, and, and 
and and that was a, a huge awakening for a lot of investors uh, who would their 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 whole investment option you know was in that one company and when things were going well everything looked rosy but when those companies went belly up uh, it, it it, it was horrible because there was no no second bag of money to go to. Uh, now, because company stock is being given at a discount, you definitely want to take advantage of it. But you want to make sure you, that company is not in your 401k plan. Or if it is in your 401k plan, it's a very small part of your your plan, it shouldn't be more than ten percent of your company to your four hundred one k plan. Is that in general, or just if you want to be doing the employee stock purchase plan? Um, I would say just in general because the stock purchase plan is a good plan. I mean, you're buying stock at a, at a very discounted price. You couldn't buy that same stock on on the street at that price, so it's hard to get that that luxury up. Right, and the realize. earnings are kind of like free money then. Right. But, and and, and, and free money, I mean, if, if you're getting if you're getting a, a 20% discount on, on stock, that's a 20% increase on your investment. Yeah, look at it that way. Where else are you going to get 20% on your money? Yeah. If, if it's only a 10% discount, that's 10% on your money already before you get started. You've earned ten percent. You know where else you gonna get that kind of return? But you still have to be very careful that that's not your only source of investment. You know you you want to invest in a four hundred one k that's gonna invest in diversified companies. You know you you want to be in pharmaceuticals. You want to be in banking. You want to be in oil and gas companies. You want to be in some electric uh, electricity companies. Um, that's where mutual funds benefit you is you're in those different sectors. So when the price of gas drops, uh, you don't take a big loss. But if the price of gas rises, you benefit because all companies make money. The auto industry, you know, one thing about mutual funds is they have a, a, a wide spectrum of companies that they invest in and different Industries or sectors in 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 the, in the country on companies, and so by doing that, you're able to to maximize and minimize your 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 gains and losses. So, thank you, Daddy, for joining Corporate Courtney this week. Thank you for your advice and your candor. Um, I'm sure that the people will be very grateful to have a different perspective on investing and things of that nature, because I took what. His ideas were when I first started out in corporate America and I've continuously in, increased my 401k savings. I've started participating in my company's employee stock purchase plan when I was working for a company that had one. And these are the things that I'm working on to create more wealth for me. But there's just so much I still don't understand. Like, I worked for two companies that worked off of a vesting schedule for their 401k. So getting to understand that even though my company does a matching program, I may not get all of it if I leave early. 
So for those of you who don't have a matching program or are first starting out in corporate America, your company, and not all companies do it, every company is literally different on how they deal with retirement funds. So this is just from my perspective, but for the first, for the two companies that I've worked for post-college, the first company um, did a vesting schedule of four years, meaning they would match up to 6% of what I put into my 401k. However, if I were to leave the company in the first year, I would not get all of that 6%. I would only get 25% and then 50% and then 75%. And then I would get the full 6% after four years. And with this new company, it's three years. So it's very similar. Um, I think it's 25%, then 75%, and then the full 100 after three years. And they kind of just throw that out there when they're talking to you. But like to break it down and to understand what you're really talking about is kind of confusing, right? So let's say I invest $100 into my 401k. And my employer, I've been working there for only a year. And they're going to match up to 6% of that. So they are going to put $6 into my 401k along with me so that I can save for retirement because, well, I don't have really anything else. But say after a year, I just can't do it anymore. This job wasn't cut out for me. I've made it a year. I'm happy to get a notch on my belt and some experience, but I leave. Well, if that company has a vesting schedule and I only get 25% of that max. Instead of that $6, I'm really only going to get $1.50. And to be honest, I'm not sure if it's really $1.50 because there's interest that grows over that thing. And since it's all put into one big lump sum, there's interest on the amount of money that I put in and who knows who gets what. So when you leave, I would double check those numbers. But yes, $1.50. So you're leaving money on the table. That's not your money anymore. The company is going to take back that extra $4.50. And you have to weigh that risk, right? Like, are you miserable enough to lose out on that extra $4.50? Or should you stick it out a little bit longer and see what more you can get? Those are the kind of things that you have to keep in mind when working in corporate America, because there is no big lump sum of savings for your retirement. All of these things come into play with the ties and the loops of your employment and your contract. So make sure you're double checking and looking into that kind of stuff as well. But all in all, too long, didn't listen. It sounded like a recording that I didn't want to talk about. You should absolutely start saving into your 401k as soon as possible. You should be maxing out your company's match if they've got one and growing that on top of it. You should also look into doing your company's employee stock purchase plan if they've got it. That's free money coming in and making sure that you're taking advantages of the opportunities you have is is just smart. Three, make sure you're diversifying. Try not to have more than 10% in all your different portfolios of one company. Try to spread it around. Get different industries, look at all those things. And you can play around with that inside of your 401k. Um, your company will have some sort of investment tool to look at and they will have resources to listen to and to check in with and how to play with those things and, and grow numbers where and 
which cap growth to use. So if you're not sure about any of that or you've never played with it or bothered with it, I would definitely reach out to the resources that your company has for those things. And like the disclaimer I made at the beginning of the episode, the same thing applies. I nor my dad are taking classes or studying finance to its fullest extreme. We are not CPAs. I cannot give you tax advice. But I thought just getting a perspective on some of these things from our perspective may give you a new perspective or at least get you start thinking that you need to have that conversation with someone who is money savvy and who is doing that for a living. I come from a very cheap man, so I'm a very cheap lady. And therefore, I don't love the idea of giving someone a percentage of money to do that stuff for me when I could probably Google or search or, you know, try to figure it out for the cheap. But I'm not stupid. And I know eventually daddy's knowledge is going to be tapped out. My knowledge is tapped out and I may want to consult someone. So a financial planner or an investment banker or someone of the sort may be a good resource to start with. Um, It's just it's it's stupid to play around with your money, especially when there's so much we don't know about money and the laws and regulations change annually. So please look into that. Please don't take anything that we say as Bible. Don't go jump into it, but at least start having these conversations with other people and start thinking about what other ways you want to play with your money. So that's all I've got for this week. I want to thank Robert Johnson, a.k.a. Daddy, for joining on the podcast this week. Um, This probably has the least amount of cussing of any episode I've ever done. But, you know, that parental magic just pops on out at you. Um, I want to thank you guys for listening and tuning in and sharing uh, the podcast with people you know, people you love. Um, Very thankful for the support that I've been getting around this. and. I will talk to you guys next week on Floor 17. So until then, toodles.